Um, Psalm 98 is where we're going to be this morning. And as I said, um, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a year and uh, was ready to go with a message, but um, just wanted to share some thoughts with you uh, from this psalm. And the title of our time together this morning is, is just simply Praise Him. Praise Him. Um, let's have a word of prayer. As I pray, I would ask that you pray that God would speak to our hearts this morning, and that He would be real to us, and that we would really praise Him, not just today as we're gathered in church, um, but that we would strive to do this each and every day of our lives as He gives us opportunities to do so. So let's pray together. God, we ask this morning that as we have gathered in this place, that that your presence would be felt in our lives, God, not in a mysterious or creepy way, but simply in a way that causes us to reflect on this truth that we are your children, that we are your sons and daughters, God, that we are redeemed, that we have been rescued, that we have been saved from what we deserved, a life in an eternity of separation from you. But God, through your Son, you've given us a gift of eternal life with you. May we, never, may we never think we have to move past that truth. God, you are gracious and kind, and we see that evidenced in our lives so often, and yet I think if we're honest, oftentimes we also look past those things, almost simply expecting them to be without really acknowledging who is behind those things. And God, I, I pray today that, that we would reflect on the simple truth that you're worthy of praise. God, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for the, the church plant that happened over, over 40 years ago in a town of St. Albans, God. Probably some looked at that church plant and said, they'll never accomplish anything. As they moved to their first building and then bought land and built this, this building, God, probably still some that said, who is, who is that crazy group of people? And God, over the years, as we have seen hundreds of thousands of dollars go through this place as we've seen hundreds of lives changed by the gospel. As we've seen hundreds commit to follow you through baptism. God, as we've seen marriages restored, as we've seen addictions broken, We've seen hardships overcome as we've seen challenges that seemed impossible. As we've seen those things vanish, God, we, we give you the praise for them all. God, you are good to us. I pray this morning that, that we would just make it a point in our lives to return thanks to you for your goodness. Help us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Change us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we look like him in all that we say and all that we do in every area of our lives. God, may you receive the praise that you deserve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Dave Boswell didn't start us off very good this morning, coming up here crying. And then a baptism, which I always cry in. And we sang some of my favorite songs, which I didn't choose, by the way, and didn't really even know that I was preaching this passage, but they certainly fit together well. And as we look to this text today, as you, as you see on the screen, the simple thought that I, I want to get across this morning is praise Him. 
What is praise? Praise refers to the lifting up of God. It's a joyful recounting of what God has done for us. Praise and thanksgiving often go hand in hand as we thank God and offer appreciation, sometimes just for who He is. Praise is the acknowledgement of all the wonderful, righteous deeds of God. And friend, this morning as we begin, can we agree that He is worthy of praise? Our God who sits high above the heavens, our God who created all that is, who is working in the details of our lives even when we don't understand it. The God who leads us through dark valleys and difficult times. He's worthy of our praise. We understand this, but I fear sometimes we don't actually live it. Praise flows from satisfaction, but it's not strictly tied to our circumstances. To illustrate this, we, we understand what this is like when we eat a good meal. I, I love a good steak. Anybody else with me? You love a good steak. After you put that fork and knife down and you're considering how much weight you probably just gained, you scoop back from the table and you say, what? Man, that was good. Maybe you say compliments to the chef. We don't talk like that anymore, but it sounds really good. I don't think I've ever been in a restaurant where there's a real chef there, so I don't know if I could really say that. But we praise the one who provided this thing for us. And we understand this in life. We do this often. But the interesting thing about the Christian life is that our praise isn't necessarily tied to our circumstances. So we could eat the worst meal that we've ever experienced and we could push back from the table at that point. And what should we still say? Praise God for the provision that he gave me to have another meal even though I didn't like it. And so while the world says praise or, or glorification or, or excitement is centered around the goodness of your circumstances, Christianity and the Bible would say that praise is not centered on your circumstances, but it's centered on your God. That in all things and in all times and all ways, whatever we face in our lives, we have the ability to give praise. And we've been commanded to do so. And so I would ask us this morning to consider in our own lives Are we truly praising God? Back to this idea that praise flows from satisfaction, but it's not strictly tied to our circumstance. John Piper is known for saying this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That's a beautiful statement. It's a simple statement that we can wrap our minds around. And when we are truly satisfied in God, not satisfied in what God is doing in the moment, not satisfied in what God is providing for us, we're just simply satisfied in this reality that there is a God who reigns supremely over all things. Then whatever comes our way, God will be glorified through us because we're resting in him and because we're seeking to give him praise. True satisfaction comes from understanding who God is and what he has done, um, but it's not just in realizing what what he's done. It's truly meditating on the simple reality that there is a God who is in control of all things. And so our satisfaction doesn't have to be in what we're going through. But we can have satisfaction along the way because we understand there is one who is going through that thing with us. And I think we've seen that lived out in our church many times over the last many years. 
Psalm 98 is a powerful psalm that calls believers to express praise in their attitude, in their actions, in their words, and in reality, the totality of their lives. Psalm 98 was to be sung as the people of God meditated over the victory of God in their lives. The enemies of Israel were great, but their God was greater. The enemies of the nation, they did, nations did many unthinkable things, but their God was more powerful. The enemy of these people caused them to fear and tremble, but their God was faithful. And friends, we too have an enemy, and he is a powerful enemy. He is an enemy who is working. Before we were saved, he fought for our soul. He sought to destroy our Redeemer, as we've seen through the gospel testimonies. And he's still fighting today. But just as he was greater than Israel's, uh, Israel's enemies, friend, he is still greater than our enemies today as well. Before the service, I sat in the office and somebody came in and they wanted to talk for a few minutes. And they said, I've, I've been struggling. Struggling with, with depression, but it seemed almost bigger than depression. And do we understand today that the enemy can weigh us down, but he can't stop us? They said, I was ready to quit. I was ready to walk away. And then I remembered that I'm a child of God. And then I remembered that if, if God can save me, then he can bring me through this trial as well. And so what did they do? They got in their car, they turned on the Christian radio station, and they just simply began praising God. Why? Because praise takes us from this place where we're so focused on our circumstances that we then transition to focus on the one who is ultimately in control of our circumstances. It takes us from, from looking down to looking up. It takes us from, from meditating on our trials and struggles to meditating on the one who has power over our troubles and, and, and trials. And this is what Psalm 98 is a call to do, to stop thinking solely upon what is going on around you and to think continually on the one who is in control of all things. Now, who here would, would admit with me this week that you struggled with that very thought? Life is hard. I, I got texts from some of you this week that said, hey, life is hard. You may not have said those words, but that was the sentiment behind what you were saying. And you know why you said that? Because life is hard. But God is good. And even in the trial, even in the difficulty, even in the things that seem impossible to get through, as believers, as children of God, as heirs with Jesus Christ of things eternal, that at all times and in all things we have a reason to praise. That's what I want to pull from this psalm this morning. The big idea is simply this. When we willingly receive the blessings of God but do not give Him praise for them, we are no different than an unbeliever. You say, that sounds harsh. You understand one of the things that God brought against the unbelievers in Romans 1 was the simple truth that they were not thankful. They weren't thankful. Certainly they were living lifestyles of debauchery. They were living in sin. They were following the lusts of their own passions. They were chasing after things that they thought would bring them happiness and pleasure and joy. And the reality is they, they may have for a moment, but that joy would not last. And as God is speaking against them, as God says three times that he gave them over, that he gave them up to their own lusts and their own passions, one of the reasons that God does this is because they were not thankful in their hearts 
to God. And I want you to think just for a moment, have you been thankful this week? Have I been thankful this week? Have I taken the things that God has done in my life for granted, thinking that I I deserve them, that I've earned them, that that God's just always going to do them for me because, hey, I'm a pretty good guy. Have I really given thanks? Have I really praised God? As we go through this psalm this morning, I want to see four things. And that's good for you because four means shorter, two means longer, three is average. see four things today that hopefully will help us as we think through this idea of praising him. First thing we see is in verses one through three, and it's praise him for his victory. Praise him for his victory. Sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of all the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and truth towards the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of the Lord. Praise him for his victory. As this psalm begins, it's a clear call to praise, but you'll quickly notice that the word praise is not mentioned until later on in this psalm. We often think of praise being associated with a testimony, and it often starts with something like this. I just want to praise God for, and then you fill in the blank. And there is certainly nothing wrong with that. But if that is the only time or the only way that we praise God for the things that, that he has done, then, then we've misunderstood the call to praise, haven't we? If only the only time we, we lift up God's voice is when we have to say the word praise associated with it, then we've misunderstood what God's call is on our lives. And so this idea is not wrong. I want to praise God for X, Y, and Z. But praise is much more than that in our lives. The call of the worship leader in this psalm is to have the people sing a new song to the Lord. And as I read that last night, as I was preparing for this message, I'm thinking, what is this new song? You know, I'm preaching to some Baptists tomorrow morning, and they're not always fans of that which is new. It's okay, you can laugh at yourself because it's true. So what is he talking about? This new song wasn't necessarily new words put to a new rhythm. It wasn't necessarily a new concept that the worship leader brought up. But this new song is simply the idea that it's a new song for a new situation. It's a new song for a new provision. It's recognizing and noticing and understanding how God is working and what God is doing. And you begin to praise him in a new way that you've never praised him before. And so when the psalmist says in verse number one, sing unto the Lord a new song, guess what? That new song is new every morning. Why? Because great is his faithfulness. Day in and day out, God does a new thing that he is not obligated to do, but he does it because he loves us and he deserves that we sing to him a new song on a new day because he is a good God. And so we praise him for his victory. The psalmist goes on to say, for he has done marvelous things. The thing I shared with you about the church in 2000, friend, that is a marvelous thing that God has done. It's marvelous to to look at the finances of the church in the business meeting. And if you're a member, if you're not a member, I hope you'll stay. Why? Because it's a time of celebration over the marvelous things that God has done. To see the number of people who have have been saved. I, I think in the church, this is not counting kids that got saved at home, but there was 
somewhere in the range of 14 plus that got saved just simply at church this year. There was 25 people that followed the Lord in baptism this past year. There was 55 people who joined our church family. Friend, I don't know how else to say it, but our God has done marvelous things. Marvelous, wonderful, inexplicable at times. He's a good God. And each one of those things is proving that he is victorious. But all those things, don't they pale in comparison to the marvelous thing that God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ? That he would send his son to be the payment for our sin? Certainly, that is the most marvelous thing, that we could become the children of God. And, And the psalmist says, These marvelous things that God has done. It's his right hand and his holy arm that has gotten him the victory. Friend, understand today, if you're a believer, you are not here in this life where you are because of you. You're where you are because of the goodness of God. He's done marvelous things. He saved you and brought you out of a pit and set your feet upon a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. And he has established your goings, not just from the day to day, but for eternity he's established your goings. He's done marvelous things, and he deserves to be praised for them. In verse number 2, the Bible says, The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. Now let's be real. Do the heathen like this sight of the righteousness of God? No. They mock it. They scoff at it. But do you remember when you saw the righteousness of God for the first time with fresh eyes? It was a pleasant thing. This thing that you probably disdained in your life, this thing that you had rejected, now becomes something beautiful. And why did you get to see this thing? Because the Lord has made known His salvation. Certainly this is speaking of a physical battle that Israel would have found themselves in. And God displayed his victory through his holy right arm and through his righteousness. But all of those victories were pointing to the great victory, which was seen on the cross as Jesus died for our sins. And then in the empty tomb as he rose again. The psalmist says he has made known his salvation. He's displayed his righteousness, his glory, his saving strength in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered in verse number three, his mercy and his truth. Aren't you thankful that God hasn't forgotten those things? All of those things point us back to the the victory that he has provided in our lives. And because of those victories, his name deserves to be praised. And so we could stand here for the rest of the day, much longer than any sermon I've ever preached, is simply talk about the ways God has shown himself to be victorious in our lives. You wouldn't know it, but there's people in this room that have struggled with things that you can't even imagine. And guess what? God gave them the victory. And you may be here today struggling with something that nobody knows about. Can I encourage you today to understand? God will give you the victory. God will give you the strength to overcome that thing that has pulled you down, that thing that has weighed you down, that thing that has has torn you apart. God is able to overcome these things, and we we give him praise for the victories that he has accomplished in the past, and the past victories only propel us to think towards the future victories. I'm excited over what God did in 2023, friend. I really am. That's behind us. We've got a new year. We've got more people that need to hear the name of Jesus. 
got more people that need to understand that true salvation comes from him and him alone. As we think about the victories, certainly we understand that, that those around us don't always understand the victory. I believe this year we've been faithful to give God the glory for what he's done. But do you know that there are people in our state, and I don't say this in any other way than just to share with you the truth, that look at what God is doing at Northside and they mock it. They say, oh, God, God's not doing anything there. I can give you a reason for all those good things that have happened in that place. And you know who these people are? Other Christians. So what should we double down in? Give God the praise. Because when we take attacks like that personally, what do we want to do? Fight back. We want to show them. We want to make it known. But that's not our job. All we simply have to do is give God the victory. God will make his glory known. God will make his name known. God will make his victory seen. God will make his salvation understood. We simply have to be faithful. And so the psalmist in verses 1 through 3 is calling us to praise God for his victory. Certainly he has done marvelous things. And that points us to this truth that he will do marvelous things. The question we have to ask is, will we be consistent in giving God praise for those marvelous things. And so I would ask you today, do you praise God for the victory in your life? When's the last time you stopped and just said thank you? When's the last time that you had this thing that was weighing on your heart and your mind for so long and then suddenly it dissipates and it goes away and you continue on in life as normal without ever even giving thought to the one who was working behind the scenes? Praise Him for His victory. Praise Him for the things that He has done. Make His name known in those things so that He receives the glory from them. Praise Him for His victory. Secondly, this morning, praise Him with His gifts. In verses 4 through 6, the psalmist continues and says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp and with the harp and the voice of a psalm, the trumpets and the sound of a cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord. And who is he? He's the king. So we praise him for his victory. Then we praise him with his gifts. Has God been good to you? Has he? On the count of three, everyone take a deep breath. You ready? One, two, three. You know what that's a sign of? The goodness of God. When you woke up this morning and you opened the fridge, was there something in there? <laughs> Maybe not something you wanted. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts sounded a whole lot better. I know, I fight the battle too. But isn't it true that that even the thought that we can go buy Dunkin' Donuts is a reality that God's been good to us. Think of your family. They may not always act like you want them to. I was around Dave Boswell's family last week. and <laughs> I, I made a joke. Everyone has to look. The Boswells have been back in church for less than an hour. Look at their row. It's about six inches that way. <laughs> the Boswells are back, friends. The Boswells are back. 
Think of your friends. Look around the room right now. People that you could call in a moment's notice and say, hey, I've got this thing. I need you to pray. And you know what they would do? They would pray. Think of your things. (laughs) And that list could go on and on. The provisions of God that that we use to buy things that... (laughs) will satisfy us for at least six months till the next version comes out, right? God's been good. God has given us gifts. We understand that, that we could often be guilty of saying, man, I've worked hard for what I have, and I'm not going to discredit you. You probably have worked hard in your life, but who has given you breath in your lungs so you're able to wake up in the morning to put your clothes on and walk out the door and go to that job that you probably didn't get because of who you were in the first place, but God gave it to you so you could earn a paycheck and put it in your bank account to do the things that you need to do, but also the things that you want to do. Think about all the things in your life that God has daily given us, that he's daily given me, that he daily loads us with, and and then understand this truth. God doesn't just want us to pray him for the things he's given us. He wants us to praise him with the things that he's given us. There's a huge difference because I could say praise God for my bank account and then go and spend my money on whatever I want to spend my money on. And there's, there's a separation there that I'm saying, God, thank you for this so I can go and do what I want with it now. But the psalmist is not saying Praise God for your trumpets or praise God for the ability to sing. He says, praise God with these things. And each of these things is a gift from God. He says, make a joyful noise unto who? The Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. For some of you, this is a good verse. Why? Because it says, make a joyful noise. And you're like, well, I can't quite do that. He continues on and says, make a loud noise. Well, we can all do that, right? I heard some of you this morning. Beautiful, beautiful. But he's not saying give God thanks for these things. He's saying give God thanks with these things. And so what is that pointing us to? It's pointing us to the idea of stewardship. How are we using the things that God has given us? How are we leveraging the positions that God has put us in so that we can praise his name while making his name known on the earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. And all of these things, the psalmist is calling our attention to understand this truth, that as believers, as children of God, we have a responsibility to praise God with the very gifts that he has given us. And I would ask us this morning, how are we doing in this thing? Would you admit with me today that there are times in our lives where instead of praising God with the gifts that he has given us, we tend to covet the gifts that he hasn't given us? Instead of using the things that are at our disposal to make sure God is being made known in our lives and through our lives in the ways that we live. We sit back and we say, man, I I could do so much more if I just had 
this, that, or the other thing. Our, our church has a problem right now, and I don't think we're at the point of church discipline yet, but um, there's some, some pretty nice Bibles floating around this place. You say, the Bible's just a Bible. Well, you may never held some of these Bibles. Do you know how foolish it would be to say, man, if I just had one of those high-dollar Bibles, then I'd do my devotions. Sounds silly. <laughs> I'm going to tell myself. Do you know I've sat and looked at some of these Bibles and said, man, I could put that right by my recliner and doing my devotions with one of those Bibles would be so much more enjoyable. That's foolish. Actually, friends, that's sinful. It is. Because what am I finding more enjoyment in? The Bible with a nice leather cover than I would be the one who's speaking to me through his pages. And so that's the difference. The psalmist is saying, don't just praise God for his gifts, but praise him with his gifts. Use the things that God has given you to make his name known. Use the things that God has given you to serve this local body of believers, to find your place in this place, and to use your gifts and talents and abilities for his glory and for his name, to, for his sake, to make his name known through all generations. And I, I would ask us today, are we using the gifts that God has given us to give him praise? we got some talented people in this church. We really do. I would ask you today, are you using those gifts for the glory of God? Wouldn't it be foolish of us to think that God gave us these gifts just for ourselves? He's given us the gifts. Why? For the purpose of glorifying His name. And also in the New Testament, He's given us these gifts to edify the local body. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says this, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter's saying, God has gifted you, and it's now your responsibility to use that gift for the purpose of serving others as you display this reality of the grace of God in the world. Paul would echo what Peter says in Romans, actually Peter would echo what Paul said, but we'll go to Paul second. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 10, he says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. What's he saying? He says we're all different parts of the body. Simple concept to understand. Says it kind of confusingly. I'll correct Paul. I'll make it easy to understand. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one member's of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. What, what is Paul saying there? He said, if you're in a local church, God has gifted each of you individually for the purpose of filling a role within that local church for the benefit of who? The body. And so he goes on and says, if everyone were an eye, we'd look like that person from Monsters, Inc., right? That big giant eyeball that walks around. 
we'd be of no use. If everyone were a nose, we could all smell and we'd realize that everything stinks. If everyone was a foot, we'd hop along and, and make no progress in life. But we're not all one thing, we're all many things. And he says in verse number nine, he says, love, let love be without dissimulation. What does that mean? He says, don't pick and choose who you're going to serve with your gift. Let love be equal. So there's some in here that you may look around, that I may look around and say, man, they're easy to serve. And there's some that you may look around and say, man, they're hard to serve. I'm just going to step away and, and not be involved in their lives. Do you know what that's doing, friend? The exact opposite of what Paul says to do in this passage. We're to love one another and we're to use the gifts that God has given for the sake of the body, but ultimately for the glory of God. And so we don't simply praise God for our gifts, but we praise Him with our gifts. We don't simply say, God, thank you for the blessing, and now I'm going to do my own thing. But we say, God, thank you for the blessing, and now show me how I can use this thing to praise your name. And so I would ask you this morning, what gifts do you have that you're not using for the benefit of the body? I think we've all heard people make the statement. Probably each of us have made this statement as well. I've done that serving thing in whatever role, and now it's my time just to take a seat. Has Jesus come back yet? It's not time to take a seat. It's not, friend. I get we go through seasons where we're worn out and we're tired. You may need to take a break, and by all means, I'm in favor of people taking a break. I truly am. But if you took a break at your job that lasted the whole day, what's going to happen to you if that continues? Probably not going to have a job. So how are you using your gifts? Are we using them selfishly for our own gain, for our own benefit? Are we thinking internally as, as far as our own lives or are we thinking externally of how we can serve the body and how we can make the name of God known? He tells us to make a joyful noise, to use these things, to sing, to, to use the, the instruments, to make God's name known, to give him praise for the victory that he has brought into our lives. And I can't think of a better way of giving God praise for saving us than serving him with the life that he has also given us. And so we praise Him for His victory. We praise Him with His gifts. We praise Him like creation. In verses number 7 and 8, He says, Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. I don't know if anyone noticed the incredible miracle that happened today. It was probably on the news, at least it should have been. Uh, you probably read about it in a Facebook post or a social media post. You probably when you walked through the doors, had a conversation with somebody about this thing because it was so incredible. You want to know what it is? I woke up this morning, I opened my blind, and guess what had happened? The sun had risen. It's incredible. It's a miracle. And guess what that's a sign of? That all creation, all creation is moving to the glory of God. That when the sun rises and the sun sets, that when we see those stars in the sky that, that, that are 
are millions of miles away. That when we see a bird fly by our house, or we see a deer run through a field, when we see a, a brook babbling down through some rocks, or we see some snow fall from heaven, we see some ice form on the trees, and it makes a, a beautiful picture that we would love to post. Understand, church, that every one of those things is creation doing what creation was designed to do. And guess what? It's going to do it until God says to stop. You remember last week when we were talking through Jesus coming into the, the city of Jerusalem on the donkey and the, the scribes and the Pharisees were so ticked off at this display of, of, of Christ's honor from the people. And they came to Christ and said, you've got to tell them to stop. What does Christ say? If I tell them to stop, the rocks are just going to cry out. Why? Because creation exists to glorify God. And when, when creation does what it was created to do, God's name is honored. It's interesting that his prized creation is the one who has a choice. And yet so often we make the choice to not do what we were created to do. So tomorrow morning when you wake up and you see the sunrise and maybe you're one of those people that you have the blackout shades and that little beam of light comes through the side, and you're like, oh man, the sun! Maybe we should say, praise God for the sun. And when that wind blows and that rain falls, we, we say, man, this is so annoying. Maybe we say, praise God for the rain. Praise God for the wind. Maybe we would do well to take lessons from lesser things and understanding how we are called to praise God as well. It reminded me of what the psalmist says in Psalm 8. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes, babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, because thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the fields, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord! How excellent is thy name in all the earth. I love going to the ocean. You want to know why? It's not to swim in it. Because just something about the ocean, I don't enjoy swimming in it. Probably because I only go to Maine, and you can't really swim in the ocean there. You turn into an icicle. But do you know why I love going to the ocean? Because it makes me stop. Every single time, it makes me stop and look out at this great mass of water and think to myself, man, I am so small. God, you are so big. I love to sit and, and watch the waves roll in. And every time one of those waves crashes to shore, guess what happens? The name of God is praised. 
So I would ask us this morning, do we praise Him for His victory? Do we praise Him with His gifts? Do we praise Him like creation? Do we reflect on the goodness of God as we look at the world that He has provided for us to live in? And friend, we live in a fallen version of what God created. There are things that are marred and scarred by the curse of sin. But still, every one of these things points to the reality that there is a God who is in control. And as creation does what creation does, it praises the name of the Creator. Are we praising Him like creation? If everything was stripped away from you today that you love, you'd still have enough to praise God. It might be harder. Or maybe... Maybe it might make things easier in the end. Praise Him like creation. Finally, in verse number 9, praise Him till He comes. Before the Lord, for He cometh to judge the earth, with righteousness shall He judge the world and the people with equity. One day, one day the clouds will open and Christ will appear. And he will come with the purpose of taking us to be where he is. And I would ask you this morning, are you excited for that day, church? As time goes on, the the longer I live, and I know I'm only 38, but the longer I live, the more I long for heaven. I do. Life is hard. We go through difficult things. And there should be something within us that is longing for restoration, that is longing for the wrongs to be made right and the the broken to be fixed and the torn apart to be mended. There should be something within us that longs to see the one who created us face to face. There should be something within us that is craving that time when we will worship him in, in pureness like we've never worshipped him before. But until then, we've got a job to do, and the psalmist outlines it for us here. He calls us to praise the Lord. Oh, certainly, he says, there is a day when the king, the Lord, is coming to judge the earth. And you can rejoice, friend, because he will judge with righteousness, and he will judge with equity. And in our world, there is not much righteous or equitable judging, is there? We like to look outside us and say, man, that's not righteous and that's not equitable. But let's be honest. How many of us don't even often judge righteously or equitably? How do we judge? We judge by what we know. We judge by what we deem is right. Oftentimes, our judgments are made by the things that we have experienced in life. And if you've paid attention over the last four years and Probably moving forward, we're going to understand that everybody has a differing opinion and they're willing and longing to share what that opinion is. But friend, one day a judge is coming and our opinions will no longer matter. Why? Because he will judge perfectly. And we look for that day. And we wait for that day. And we hope for that day. And we long for that day. But until that day comes, we praise him. We praise Him. We praise Him for the the eight babies that were born this year into our church. 
We praise Him when the saints take their last breath, see their Savior face to face. We praise Him when people are getting saved. We praise Him when people in our church walk through difficulties. Why? Because at all times and in every season, His name is worthy to be praised. These people that the psalmist is writing to, certainly they understood the difficulty of trials. They understood the hardness of life at times. They understood being invaded by another nation and having your rights and your privileges being stripped away from you, your possessions being torn away from you, and in some cases, your family torn away from you. And what does the psalmist call to them in that day? To praise the Lord. Why? Because He's worthy to be praised. And though you don't understand what He's doing, He's worthy to be praised. Lift up His name high, friend, though you can't comprehend what God is going to do through this mess. Understand, He is doing something. And so in it all, praise Him. Praise Him until He comes. And that's the testimony of so many that we see throughout the Scriptures, isn't it? That they face hardships and trials, and yet they passionately and purposefully praised the name of God. One passage that I love to read over and over and over again is in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. It says this, And what shall I say more? For the time would family to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and of Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. You say, well, they had it pretty easy. Look at all the good things God did in their lives. Well, the passage continues. It says, and others had trial of cruel mocking and scourging, yea, Moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, which means sawn in half. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And then verse 38 says, Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in the dens and the caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. In this hall of faith, this familiar passage that probably many of us know and love, we understand that the writer is outlining for us the lives of those men and women who lived before us, who faced things that, friend, we can't even comprehend. Yet they move forward by faith. Some of them saw great victories as God overcame battles, as, over, as God overcame illnesses in their lives, as God raised their kids to life again. But some of them died by the sword. Some of them died as their bodies were literally torn apart. And what does he say? These people, the world was not worthy of them. Why? Because in all that they went through and everything that they faced, they walked by faith and they praised the Lord. And so what is the encouragement to us? Maybe you say it's a discouragement. Friend, I don't know what your life holds. But I do know this. 
that if and when you walk by faith, God will give you the ability to praise the Lord in all things. That's the testimony, again, that we've seen this year from so many who have walked through things that you know about, but also about so many who walk through things that you don't know about. That they continually and passionately and purposefully praise the Lord because they believed that there was something better waiting for them. And those who died in the Old Testament, those who died before Christ, they did not get to see the fullness of that promise. But guess what, friend? They see the fullness of the promise. And they were willing to go through anything to make sure their lives praise the Lord. So you're probably asking, how do we do this? This These are great thoughts, Dan. Praise God for his victory. Praise God with his gifts. Praise God with light creation. Praise God until he comes. But but how is this achievable? Well, in part, it begins by giving him thanks in all things. And you might not like your lot in life right now. But understand, friend, you're not there by accident. So in all things, we give thanks. We give thanks for God's faithfulness to us in the trial that we're facing. We give thanks to God for the ways that he has provided for our needs, even though we wish we didn't have these needs. We give thanks in all things. It continues as as we give thanks that we then use the gifts and talents and abilities and resources to further his kingdom and make his name known. So you're saying, Dan, I've got to go through a trial and then use what's left after I'm depleted and exhausted to lift up the name of God who has the ability to take me out of this trial if he's so pleased? That's exactly what I'm saying. And I get it. It's really hard to, to imagine that God can, but God doesn't. It's hard to fathom that if God is good, then he would let us go through things that are difficult. But that's the story of the whole Bible. Is it not? The men and women who who faithfully plodded along day after day. The ones who carried heartaches that nobody else around them knew, but we have testimony of them in Scripture. The ones who face physical pain with no sight of relief on this earth. And yet they used what God had given them to praise His name. So we do this by giving thanks, and that's oftentimes a private thing. We do this by using the gifts that He has given us by way of our talents and abilities and our resources to further his kingdom and make his name known. And then we do this in simply speaking his name to a world that does not know him. Most in our world today only know God by way of using his name as an exclamation point. You know what the world needs? The world needs a group of people who are suffering immense trials and yet still point to the name of God by way of praise. Oh, yeah, I'm going through it. 
I've got this sickness, I've got this disease, I've got this relationship trouble, I've got these finances that I can't seem to figure out, I, I lost my job, but, but can I just tell you how good my God is? Can I tell you how faithful he's been? And that though I can't figure out heads or tails of what's going on in my life, Trusting there's a God who knows. And that one day this life will be over and I will see him face to face. In the book of Job, we know this man well, but Job 1.1 says this, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. He pushed away evil from his life. We think of that man and say, we... We would say he deserves everything. And as time went on, as the sons of God were meeting in heaven, somehow, in some way, Satan made his way to that meeting. And he said, Hey, God, you know that man Job? He only loves you because you've put a hedge of protection around him. He only loves you because you've provided for every one of his needs. You've made him wealthy beyond imagination. He only loves you, God. Look at how many kids he has. Look how many sons he has, God, to carry on his name. He only loves you because of these things. God and Satan have a conversation. Satan says, if you let me take away some of his stuff, he'll curse you. This happens a couple of different times and to the point that Job had lost his kids, he had lost his wealth, he had lost his servants, he had lost his own health. Everything that we hold dear, everything that we often associate God's blessing with, right? If I have these things, therefore I am blessed. Job had these things, he was blessed, but as the story turns to Job, And we're not very far into the story at this point in verse 21 of chapter 1. Job says this, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you praise Him? Do I praise Him? I mean, in, in all seriousness, with a pure heart, do I really praise God? Is my life a tribute to me? Or is my life a tribute to Him? Is my life screaming loudly? Look at God! Look to Him! Or is it saying, hey, if you try hard, you can have these things as well. Friend, the call on our lives as believers, regardless of what we face, regardless of what we go through, is to simply praise the Lord. And I think what we'll find is that when we do this with a pure heart, though we may begin praise with grief and agony and sorrow and even bitterness, 
that those emotions will shift and turn. And we'll see how through the ashes, God is making a beautiful thing. And that in his time and in his way, his will will be accomplished. And if we are children of God, shouldn't that be our desire to begin with? So praise the Lord. In the week ahead, praise the Lord. (laughs) When you get into your car, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his victory. Praise the Lord with his gifts. Praise the Lord like creation. Praise the Lord until he comes back. That's your objective, church. I pray that we would carry it out together as we wait for his return.